Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Turn to John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27, and stand for the reading of God's Word. John 11, starting at verse 17. This is the Word of the Lord. It is eternally true. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So when Jesus came, He found that he had already been in the tomb four days, that is Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to your word that you would help us to have minds that are focused on you. Pray that our minds would not wander off onto this and that, but that you would give us the joy of, of meditating for this time on you and your Son and his resurrection from the dead. Lord, pray that you would bless us richly. For the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Be seated. So it's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Day Sunday, and and our bellies aren't filled with pancakes, as they normally would be. Pancakes and sausage and bacon and fruit salad and those, those good eggs we make and all those things. And, and our daughters aren't dancing around happily in their best dresses, which is probably the thing I miss most about today. Um, and our sons aren't dressed up in their best with their bow ties on. And we're, we're bound up in our houses as we attempt to flatten the curve of COVID-19. It's all very sad to have to hold back, right, in our celebration of what was the most hopeful and the most powerful moment in in all of history, the resurrection of the Son of God. Nothing, nothing else in history compares with that Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago, right? And and though our traditions may be hampered by our situation this year, um, that should in no way diminish our joy on this day and, and any other day we uh, claim the name of Christ. Right? It should not diminish our joy. So to focus our minds on resurrection, life from the dead, I'd like to take us through this uh, John 11 passage that we just read. And this passage is in the midst of a much longer 
uh, narrative about Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. And before we read, um, you know, we, we could go on and read of, of the interaction with Lazarus. And um, before we get to the, the climactic point of Lazarus coming out of the tomb, um, we read about Jesus interacting with Lazarus's uh, sister, Martha. Uh, once Jesus made his way to her hometown in Bethany, he learned, it says, that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days and that many had come from Jerusalem to grieve with these siblings. There, there may be some, some, something significant to the four days um, beyond the obvious, uh, apparently there was some sort of Jewish mythology of the time that thought that it's the soul, the soul lingers about the body for three days and then after that on the fourth day um, is gone. And so the fourth day was significant for that, but it seems by all the statements that are made and Martha's statement later that what the concern is is that the body's starting to rot, right? And that fourth day has it's been enough time for um, for the body to begin decaying, and so Jesus goes there. He learns he's been in the there the tomb for four days. Um, Jews were assembling. It seems uh, there were. It seems um, I mean Mary and Martha seem to be well known because it says that many Jews came from Jerusalem to be with them, and. Um, and so once news reached Martha and Mary that Jesus was approaching their city, he was coming finally to visit them, Martha departed from her home in order to get to Jesus as soon as she could. And Mary, on the other hand, was content to just wait at home and wait for his arrival there. Now you remember that Jesus spent much time with these sisters. Another passage highlights uh, the different reactions of these women to Jesus, uh, just as our passage does. In Luke 10, we read of this interaction. Luke 10, uh, now as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So it was Martha that welcomed him in. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, I repeated, Martha, Martha. You know it's serious. Martha, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, some of the commentaries I read warned me not to make too much about the psychology of those passages, but that's absurd. That's precisely what these passages are about, right? We have different reactions to Jesus in both accounts. In Luke 10, Martha is perturbed, right? She's put out that her sister would be listening to Jesus preach rather than helping her with the preparations that they have to make for their guests. 
And so Jesus rebukes Martha for her worry and instructs her that Mary had done what was more important. In John 11, then, returning to our, our passage for this morning, in John 11, Martha's impatience is again showing through. Not content to wait for Jesus, not content for another moment of her brother's rotting decomposition to go by, she leaves to meet Jesus. Mary, on this occasion, stays home. Right? In Luke 10, Mary's action was faith. In John 11, which sister is demonstrating faith? Right? Is Mary's willingness to wait for Jesus' arrival, is that faith? Is, is, um, is she thinking that if Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, it doesn't matter whether he's been dead for one hour or one week or one month. He can still do it. So I'm just going to wait here. Or is she thinking that the whole situation is over and done with? There's no need for Jesus to come because there is nothing he can do. May as well wait for him to arrive then. Well, we don't know. We don't know what she's thinking. We just have a picture of her actions. And what, do, you know, what does that picture show us? On the, um, the picture that we're given of Mary is, very, um, is not very clear, but with Martha we have this interaction that clarifies things. We know what's going on in Martha's head. We know what she's thinking and what she's saying. Um, Was it faith that motivated her to go out to Jesus? Or was it impatience? That that Martha-ian impatience. Um, Was it a desire to go out perhaps and guilt trip Jesus? That he hadn't been there when they needed him so much. Well, the first statement of Martha is a mixed bag. She first says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, that appears to be an accusation, right? Particularly when we remember that Jesus had delayed his arrival after he learned that Lazarus was sick. He delayed, he waited. Verse 6 of chapter 11, So when he had heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. It appears that Martha is expressing frustration at this delay of Jesus, or the phrase could be taken that way. Yet on the heels of that accusatory statement, she also expresses faith. Verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's saying even now after my my brother's body has started to decay, you are able to ask God to do anything, he will do it. That's faith, right? That is trust in Jesus' ability to ask of his father anything. She is seen his works, she's seen his miracles, she knows that he can even still raise her brother from the dead. But remember her first statement, you're too late. She's wavering between faith and unbelief, right? She's wavering. She's wavering between two two different reactions. And that's all too easy for us to understand, right? She's frustrated that Jesus is too late, but at the same time, she's professing her faith that he can ask anything of the Father and he will do it. She's wavering between two thoughts, the horror of her brother's decaying body and the power she knows that Jesus possesses. 
And she's sort of caught between these two and being pulled back and forth. Calvin, never one to be too rosy about human nature, writes this. He says, by speaking in this manner, Martha gives way to her feelings instead of restraining them under the rule of faith. I acknowledge that her words proceeded partly from faith, but I say that they were disorderly passions mixed with them, which hurried her beyond her bounds. For when she assures herself that her brother would not have died if Christ had been present, what ground has she for that confidence? Certainly, it did not arise from any promise of Christ. Right? In other words, Martha had it in her head that if Jesus had been present, he would not have allowed Lazarus to die, but had Jesus said that to her? Had Jesus given her that promise? Had, had she received a prophecy from him of that truth? No, she hadn't, nor had she received it from the scriptures. Right? There were many who were dying around Jesus during the days of his ministry in Palestine. Jesus' proximity did not keep everybody alive, right? The morgues were just as busy when Jesus was there, save a few that he brought back from the dead. But Martha, a beloved sister and always a mother, just can't think of how Jesus would have let that happen. She simultaneously trusts him, and she simultaneously trusts her own imagination of what should happen if everything went according to her sense of things, right? That's why Calvin says of her, and I agree, that when she, um, when she went to Christ, um, when she acknowledged Christ's power and supreme goodness, that proceeded from faith, but when she persuades herself of more than she had heard Christ declare, that has nothing to do with faith. Then he explains what that, uh, what that is in this case. For we must always hold the mutual agreement between the word and faith that no man may rashly forge anything for himself without the authority of the word of God. Okay? So in other words, Martha may have been the kind of lady who was tempted to expect things from God that were not written in God's word, right? You've met Christians like this. You've met people who may be Christians who are like this, right? The kind of lady who says, well, God told me that so-and-so wouldn't happen and that such-and-such would make a full recovery and that the election would turn out this way. God told me that, right? On the other hand, that is the kind of faith um, that is a kind of faith in the power of God, but it's also a faith that dislodges the word of God from the place it should hold in our faith. What God has declared in his word is his will. What a woman or man or child imagines in his or her brain is not necessarily his will. Right? We know his will because of the inscripturated word. We don't know it because of our vain imaginations. And some people just give themselves to their vain imaginations. They, ex they hear God speak to them vocally. And God reveals things to them that uh, are not written in his word and indeed contradict his word or go far beyond what is revealed in his word. Right? And that is vain imagination. That is not to be trusted. 
And perhaps Martha is doing that. If you had been here, he would not have died, right? Jesus, whereas Jesus never said that he was going to raise her brother from the dead before, this, before he arrives there, at least to her knowledge. He tells the disciples ahead of time, but the disciples don't even understand what he's saying. So the reaction of Martha is a jumbled mess, which again, we might expect from a woman who just buried her beloved brother. Her blurred vision continues uh, on in the passage. Jesus very bluntly says, your brother will rise again. That is a word from the Lord. That is the word of the Lord. Your brother will rise again. Right now she hears it. Right? She can take that one to the bank. Right? It's not her imagination, it's a word from the Lord that is precisely what her imaginations had been telling her, and now she had it from God himself. But what is then her response? Well, she didn't take Jesus at his word, but gives a safe interpretation of what he said. She spiritualizes what he says and now refuses to apply it to her brother, literally, Right as she had been doing up to this point. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know that. She gets all theological. right? She pulls her systematic theology book off the shelf and gets technical for a moment. Her I know seems to be filled with dissatisfaction. I know. I know he'll be, you know. Now she refuses to believe what is explicitly stated. And so, again, to go back to Calvin on this, Calvin summarizes, he says, We have said that she went farther than she had a right to do when she fabricated a hope for herself out of the feelings of her own mind. She now falls into the opposite fault, for when Christ stretches forth his hand, she stops short as if she were alarmed. Right? She is bouncing back and forth. She is unstable. And dear brothers and sisters, that is precisely how we are, aren't we? We have such sure hopes based upon our imaginations. And we have such sure doubts based upon what's written in God's Word. We think that we can read the internet. We think that we can read a few headlines, we never hit the articles, a few headlines of articles that are posted on Facebook, and declare God's will when it comes to a pandemic. Right? On the other hand, we read in God's word that God brings calamities, that God judges nations, and that blood guilt cries out from the ground, that he brings locusts to decimate economies, and yet we doubt whether God means the current calamity to be a warning to us. I'm so tired of Facebook prophets. I'm so tired of people claiming expertise on things they know nothing about because they read literally a headline on Facebook. That is your vain imagination becoming your God. And then we have the word of God which we neglect and we don't read and it tells us that God is judging our nation and we're like, nah, I don't think so. You know, it's Trump.
This is how we live. We, we are Martha, right? We are just bounced, bounced around, and where we should have solidity, it's weak, and where we, it should be weak, we, we, we're solid. And so um, we can't be hard on Martha. She responds as we, we do in many situations. We trust our imaginations and our learning and distrust God's revelation to us. That's Martha. That's us. So here is Martha. She's minimizing Jesus' words to her. Your brother will rise from the dead. At this point, Jesus declares who he is. I think, you know, this is, this is Jesus, you know, standing up tall now with Martha. Martha's wavering is met by, by an unwavering de- declaration from the, the mouth of the Son of God. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The statement is one of the seven I am statements found in the Gospel of John. And all of those statements are potent statements defining Jesus and his work. In this case, Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. So what is Jesus teaching Martha? First, in response to Martha's technical statement about the resurrection coming on the last day, Jesus points to himself as the resurrection. Himself. It is not far off, as she supposes, but resurrection is very near because Jesus is near. Right? That is where Jesus begins. He's correcting her by saying, resurrection is much closer to you Then on the last day, I am the resurrection and the life, he says. And from there, then Jesus elaborates on what he means by his I am statement. He says, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, what is Jesus saying in that phrase, right? What is Jesus saying here? Here's what I think. Jesus is telling Martha something along these lines. A believer will live eternally even if he dies physically, right? That's clear. And for a believer who lives in Christ during his natural life, his physical death cannot at all affect his eternal life, right? The physical death can't at all affect his eternal life. So let me say that again. When Jesus says, he who believes in me will live even if he dies, he's saying a believer who will live eternally even if he dies physically. And yet, and Jesus goes on, he says, when Jesus says, um, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, he's not promising that they will not die physically, but rather that a believer who lives in Christ during his physical life His physical death cannot at all affect his eternal life. That physical death means little. And so in that sense, that physical death not rendering impotent eternal life, in that sense, the Christian never dies. So to condense it down even more, I think what Jesus is getting at is this. Whether you die or you live, if you are united to Christ, you have already begun to live eternally. That's what he's saying. You have your eternal life. You have been risen from the dead. 
You are living your resurrected life even now prior to death because you are united to the one who is the resurrection and the life and who has been resurrected and is living. In either case, whether you live or whether you die, you will not know eternal death. You will not know it. Hendrickson explains the meanings of the words this way. He says, An unbeliever rejects both propositions of this glorious I am. He is of the opinion that death ends all. Hence, he cannot accept the statement, He who believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. He also conceives of physical death as being the real thing, the grim reaper. Hence, for him, the idea that death could ever be robbed of its real power is nonsense. It's nonsense. It is the one inevitable reality. And then Hendrickson concludes, he says, Hence, Jesus demanded that Martha should personally appropriate what she had just now heard from his lips, namely that as a result of what he is, namely the resurrection and the life, the life of a believer conquers death. So the only question left to ask is the one that Jesus asks of Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I ask the same thing of everybody who is listening to this sermon. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Have you determined that Jesus is something less than the resurrection and the life? Do you think that he had some things to say about those topics, but in the end, and of himself, well, he's just like me or you? Have you determined that Scripture, like any other book, reveals some truths, but the truths that Jesus created all things visible and invisible, and that Jesus, Jesus, because he was the resurrection and the life, rose from the dead? Well, those things you've rendered unbelievable. What is, you know, what is my intent in asking that? Right? Why these questions about this? It, My intent is to root out those of you in the mushy middle. That's what I want to do by bringing up those questions. Those of you in the mushy middle, people who play act when it comes to Christ's incarnation and Christ's resurrection. Right? They don't really believe, but they play along so that they have something to do on Sundays or some religion to practice or something to do for holidays. And I just can't understand those who play act a Christian faith. Jesus demands that we make a determination about him. Right? He asks everybody who ever read the scriptures or sits under the preaching of the word, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And if the answer is no, go on your way. Stop playing the hypocrite. Go away. Go, go. Live by your creed and live by your worldview. Do not play the hypocrite. There's nothing more despicable than the hypocrite, right? 
Find your answer to why there is life and why there appears to be consciousness after death somewhere else than in Christ's church. Right? Find your answer to why. Right? The only question that really has any importance. The question of the philosopher. Go find that in the unprovable hypotheses of science or in the or in the euphoria of psychedelics, right? Or in the dominance of winning competitions over other people. But leave Jesus behind. Leave him behind. But on the other hand, if if you believe that Jesus is what he testifies to here, that he is the resurrection and life, Do not half-heartedly follow him. He is the resurrection and the life. Take him at his word. Follow him. Believe in him. Do not try to retrain or retain your, your respectability with those who have rejected Jesus' claim. They will not respect you. Are you living for respectability in the eyes of other people? Or are you putting your faith in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said he is the resurrection and the life. And the question for you today is the same that was expressed to Martha on that day. Do you believe this? And notice that Jesus doesn't just ask, do you believe? A very generic question that many hypocrites would be happy to answer with yes, uh, even though they know nothing about Jesus. He asks, do you believe this? A question that demands you come to terms with Jesus Christ himself. Was he the Son of God? Was Jesus the God-man who came to redeem man from his sins? Did he rise again from the dead? Did he create me and place me in this world in order to sing his praises? And so, in other words, will you live by faith or by sight? Do you believe In Jesus, do you believe Jesus is the resurrection and life? Now Martha's response to Jesus is wonderful. And now it's unwavering. Although she wavers again before the end of the passage. She she responds to his pointed question, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So along with John the Baptist, Martha declares Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. She affirms that he is the resurrection and the life. She calls him Lord, affirming his authority. She states that she has faith. She says her faith is in Christ, the promised Messiah, who is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. I mean, that's a glorious confession of faith in in a short statement. Will she waver again? Yes. We see it again in verse 39 when she is worried about the stench of her brother's body. But 
But Jesus, by now, his body will smell. But here, in this profession of faith, this confession of hers, she shows us what it means to believe in Jesus. And again, do you believe this? Do you believe as Martha believed? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection in the life? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that there is a God who is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that Son came to redeem your soul and lived and was born of a woman, lived a perfect life, right? And died on the cross and then rose from the dead on a specific day and hour on a, at a real time. Do you believe this? This is the crazy stuff that Christians believe. There's no way to believe it unless the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has opened your eyes to it. There's no way to come to faith outside of that. But, but don't tell me the things you believe in are rational and therefore factual. The, the number of people who believe things that require tinfoil hats in this world, I think, outnumber the people who truly believe in Jesus. Right? People believe strange, strange things. Right? So that's not the hump we have to get past. We just have to come to terms with the history of Jesus, the one who came into the world, right? being eternal God, and our salvation. So do you believe? Do you believe as Martha believed? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? If so, happy resurrection day. Right? Remember that it is only by God's grace to you that you believe. The Spirit has come on you and made His home in you and by His work you can say along with Martha, Yes, Lord. If you try to believe but are assaulted by doubts, pray to God that he might give you assurance. Right? Pray that God would, would make faith more substantive to you than anything else that you've ever pursued. May his existence and his reality and his graciousness, his eternal love be a comfort to you. May it be your reality. May it be the, the air you breathe in every day. And if you don't believe, if you don't believe, you should go and find your joy elsewhere than in God and His redeeming Son. Like the rich man who built bigger barns, you can say to your soul, soul, you have... Many good things laid up for the years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, but beware. God may say to you, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And you will have spent your life pursuing everything but God. And in the end, those pursuits will not be able to save you from eternal death. Because there is only one who brings resurrection to life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if the scenario of God, you know, of 
of God saying to you, I never knew you. If that scenario fills your heart with fear, then come to Jesus. Truly come to Jesus. Leave behind the hypocritical sort of coming to Jesus. Leave behind the sort of life that that likes to keep one idol and Jesus as the focus. Come to Jesus. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? And he also said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What glorious comfort in those words, right? What glory for Jesus, the one who created all things, the one who breathed life into us, who knit us together in our mother's wombs, is the one who says, if you believe in me, you will never die. You will never die. You will live eternally in paradise, in his presence, singing his praises, worshiping with a heart untainted by sin, filled with unutterable joy. Um, Rest, knowing rest for the first time in your existence. Right, that will be glory. And so, do you believe this? Consider that question and do some examination of your own heart. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we serve a conquering, glorious, uh, resurrected King. Thank you that Jesus is seated to your right hand. We thank you that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. He will come with a sword coming from his mouth by which he will slay the nations. Oh, Father, and he will be riding that horse and clothed in the glorious white robes. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have given us this hope, that you, by your Spirit, have revealed these truths to us. Father, I pray that we would not waver, that we would not doubt, that we would not, uh, that we would not be, that our imaginations would not be taken captive by the petty things of the world. By things that have no coherence. Father, by theories of evolution that have no idea of origins, by by theories of an eternal universe, Father, that don't, again, don't deal with what is. Father, with with, um, theories that, that, that say that the earth and the matter are all just formed by random forces and that disregard beauty and what beauty says of you and of your, your, your existence and your power. And so, Father, we pray as we consider Jesus as the resurrection and the life, we pray that, that everybody who is listening, everybody who is praying now, everybody who, who um, 
heard this sermon, Father, that they, they would have in their minds by your Spirit a strong assurance that Jesus did rise from the dead. And that they would confess that with their mouths and by that know eternal life. Lord, this day when we focus on the resurrection, Father, we, um, we are so grateful that we see Jesus doing all of this work for our good. We are so grateful that Jesus was a powerful conquering king. The, the only king who could and will and ever did triumph over death, the enemy. The enemy that no other king could ever conquer. And so, Father, we exalt the name of Jesus Christ. We proclaim that this world is his. We shout that the pinnacle of history was Jesus coming forth from a grave. And Father, that 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 is the moment of history that every man must grapple with. And if he in his heart determines that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, well, there is no eternal life for that man. But if he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knows that Jesus rose from the dead, he will be saved. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for opening our, our blind eyes and unstopping our deaf ears giving utterances, utterance to our mouths that were mute. We thank you for that. We thank you that, that we, we, along with Martha, say, yes, Lord, we believe this and that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.